Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... God! 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 To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. Swan Lane drive left hand! Water on his end! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast. We are going to give you a double dose of conference previews on this episode. We're doing the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Games are coming up this weekend, starting on Thursday. It's unbelievable to think we got college footballs here, transfer portals, We've got NILs, but now it's actually time to get to the action on the field. And no better guy to preview both conferences because they do they are intertwined now with the USC and UCLA moves than Matt Zemek, Trojan Wire editor, USA Today. He's my West Coast guy. He's knows he's dialed in all things Pac-12 and especially the USC Trojans. Welcome back, Matt. Hey, it's football seasons. It's it's that time of year. You gotta love it. Gotta love it. Before we get to your Trojans, we're gonna hit on the the Big Ten first. So let's we'll save Our your future Trojans. home. Our, yeah. We better get used to it out here at USC. <laughs> All right, to give real quick, give the audience a quick update. You obviously we know USC UCL is going to the Big Ten. When is that happening? What year is that? 2024? 2024. So two more years of them in the in the Pac-12, and they are gone. Is there any yes. chance that that happens next year in 23, or is it zero? Okay. Zero. All right. Uh, the, the, there is one thing to mention that there was a UC University of California System Board of Regents meeting uh, earlier on Wednesday, and we should still assume that UCLA is going to go to the Big Ten. That the Regents at in, at the University of California System uh, can't stop it. But there is more intrigue in terms of what the Regents plan on doing. You know, are they going to make UCLA pay an ungodly sum of money to, you know, take care of Berkeley, to take care of Cal's athletic program? There is a louder drumbeat after a session that occurred on Wednesday. Now, again, UCLA should go to the Big Ten. The regions really shouldn't be able to stop it. If they do stop it, uh, it would be a violation of their charter. So we need to be on record about that. But maybe they're maybe the regions are going to overstep their bounds, and maybe they are just going to make this so unpalatable for UCLA, or they are going to you know stomp their feet so much. Like I would say, there's a two percent chance, right, uh, of UCLA being held back in the Pac-12. Let's just let's say you know one or two percent, nothing more than that for sure. Um, but uh, like, and the key point you know, here we, is we should we should assume that UCLA is out the door to the Big Ten, but like. The, the regents are, are making it harder. Let's just put it that way. Keep, they, they are really raising Kane, but it's, you know, it's like a one in a 100 type shot, you know, very, very, very microscopic chance. Uh, but anyway, that happened on Wednesday. Uh, you know, John Wilner is uh, explaining he's, you know, one of the best Pac-12 journalists in the country. He's saying that, you know, the door is still cracked open a tiny bit for this to happen. He's not, he's not making any predictions that's going to happen, but the regents are, 
do seem to be putting up a fight uh, instead of just letting UCLA go out the door. Like that's the main story. So mm-hmm. worth keeping up, keeping in mind. And remember the key point there is UCLA's public where USC's private. So exactly. That's why this affects people. UCLA only and not USC. Correct. Yes. Uh, all right, let's get to the Big Ten. Michigan, Big Ten champions 2021. They finally get over the hump of beating Ohio State, ending that long streak of, of, of hardball, not being able to beat Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. Uh, Michigan goes 12-2. and two. They get to the playoff. They beat Iowa to win the Big Ten. They lose in the, in the, in the semifinal round. Jim Harbaugh flirting with the Vikings in the offseason like he's been known to do over the years with the NFL, you know, with obviously all the some of the uh, stirring around in Michigan and whether, whether he was the guy that they were going to keep at Michigan and all that. Flirts with the Vikings, obviously doesn't end up going to the Vikings, back with Michigan. Let's talk two quarterbacks, J.J. McCarthy, Cade McNamara. M- McNamara was kind of the, 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 the placeholder last year. McCarthy's kind of the mobile guy, the young guy. Do you think they go two quarterback system, or do you think they they stick with McNamara, or do you think one McCarthy wins the job? Either one of those guys clearly win the job outright. Well, I think McNamara has to be the starter uh, week one. I think he has to be the starter to open the season. He earned it. You know, he earned it by getting Michigan to the college football playoff, getting Michigan uh, a Big Ten title last year. I think that certainly earns him the nod. And one obvious complication here Jason as you're well aware of is that offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis who's part of last year's staff under Harbaugh he's now with Mario Cristobal and Miami so the fact that you have a change at offensive coordinator you want to ride with the veteran in week one in that situation now that doesn't mean that McCarthy can't overtake McNamara for the starting job over the course of the season but week one you definitely want to give it to the veteran under a new coordinator, uh, you know, give some continuity to the offense. I mean, you know, McNamara is a respected leader. He has the trust of his teammates, the players who are coming back. You put him in the saddle in week one. And then, of course, you know, you can give McCarthy some reps. Like, you can can put him in in the third quarter if Michigan uh, has a comfortable lead. You certainly do want to give McCarthy some experience. But this should be McNamara's offense at the start of the season. Then we'll go from there. Yeah, Blake Corum, big year at running back last year. He kind of shared the duties uh, last year, but now he's going to be the man. He scored 11 touchdowns, averaged 6.6 a carry last year, is kind of splitting duties, but he's going to be clearly the number one guy there. Um, you know, remember the defensive coordinator left too to go for John, to go be with John Harbaugh at Baltimore, uh, McDonald. So left one brother to go to the other. So back in the NFL. So both coordinators have turned over at Michigan. You know, good kicker in Jake Moody. I expect them to be in the mix. Again, will they have another year uh, where they're going to go to the college football playoff? Probably comes down to that Ohio State game about who wins that division. Remember, the Big Ten still has divisions. Where We're going to talk about the Pac-12. They've gotten away from their division approach where the Big Ten still has their division. So Ohio State, Michigan's in the same division. Most people expect that game to probably decide at the end, to decide – uh, the division winner there. So any other comments, Michigan lost a bunch of guys on defense, but they're always pretty good on defense at Michigan. The question you have with Michigan is one, I think they're going to be a ball control. Again, new offensive coordinator. They're going to run the ball. They're not going to give that quarterback too much on his plate to throw the ball. He's a decent thrower, but not great. Your last thought on Michigan. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Michigan was not a dominant team, but it won a lot of close games and it won a lot of close games, mostly because of its defense powered by Aiden Hutchinson, who, you know, is the number two overall pick. So 
they lose him and and I'll go on the record as saying he should have won the Heisman Trophy. Like Bryce Young, very good. He was very good last year. He was not great. Alabama scored three points against Auburn in the first 59 minutes <laughs> of the Iron Bowl. And if Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back, had not stepped out of bounds right, right. late in that game, they Auburn game. wins 10-3 and Bryce Young does not win the Heisman. Right. So the, you know, Bryce Young benefited from the helmet. He benefited from the Alabama football brand. I think Aiden Hutchinson had a better year. So Michigan has to replace him. And just in terms of comparing Michigan and Ohio State, the obvious, you know, we, ha we have to tackle that particular topic. Might as well hit it up yep. front yep. right now. So first off, that game's in Columbus this year. It's it not is. in Ann Arbor as it was last year. But, but also, you know, Ohio State, in terms of, you know, what that program needed to do, the main thing was get a much better defensive coordinator because Kerry Combs was not the answer. Yep. Oregon and Joe Moorhead, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator for the Ducks uh, last year under Mario Cristobal. Joe Moorhead just ate up Kerry Combs. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, yep. brunch, uh, yep. you know, an extra late mid midnight snack, however you want to call it. And so Kerry Combs was just at, in, in over his head. Yep. And now Ohio State and Ryan Day get Jim Knowles, who did a fantastic job with the Oklahoma State defense. So Ohio State addressed what it needed to get a big time upgrade at defensive coordinator. So it's not going to be the same landscape for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. And of course, Ohio State losing to Michigan. What? Like, that's not supposed yeah. to happen. So, you know, it's it's going to be a much bigger uphill battle for Michigan. I mean, now the good the good thing for Michigan, if you know, if you're a Michigan fan, you're saying, you know, this season's house money. You know, we we finally did Broke what we expected to do, and this year we don't have pressure, we don't have expectations. Certainly not the way Ohio State does after failing to win the Big Ten. So if you're Michigan, you play this season aggressively, freely. You take chances. You let it ride. You let Ohio State deal with the pressure and the expectations. But of course, the flip side is that Ohio State really is the very, very strong favorite to come out of the Big Ten. And Ohio State returns a lot of guys, not all, not necessarily great guys on defense because their defense did struggle. Is that a scheme issue or is that more of a player issue? We'll see this year with Knowles at well, the helm. But, and I would say with Kerry Combs, you know, that was a largely a scheme issue. I and that you. Jim Knowles should fix those schematic deficiencies. That, that was just a great yeah. uh, hire in terms of assistant coaches. In fact, if you, if you ask me, Jason – Who's the favorite for the Broyles Award, the top assistant? I'd say Jim Knowles is probably going to be number one. All right. They returned 73% of their production, both offensively and defensively, Ohio State does. So they've got a lot of guys that have played a lot of games and meaningful snaps and all that stuff. Obviously, C.J. Stroud's back at quarterback. He lost his two, two first-round receivers, Olave and Garrett Wilson. But he does bring back in Jigba, who had a huge Rose Bowl out your way on New right. Year's Day. Travion Henderson, another huge sophomore, had 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns at running back. Both those guys will probably be in the Heisman Trophy mix potentially. So loaded on offense for Ohio State. I think I think you're right. I think every, everywhere you see, it sounds like it's Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten, unless there's an injury. Again, C.J. Stroud might be the most indispensable player in the conference. You lose him. The whole, the whole, you know, that could change the entire dynamic, but we'll, we're going to get to that here in a second. But I think clearly Ohio State's the favorite, 11 and two last year, loses the tiebreaker. Let's go to Purdue. Jeff Brom. Again, we've, we've been waiting for Jeff Brom. We, we thought he's going to put together a good program. He's getting there at Purdue. 
Hard place to win big time consistently, but he's done a pretty good job. He's got his quarterback back this year. He lost his big receiver, David Bell, to the NFL. The guy who was supposed to follow David Bell got booted off the team for some uh, team issues, so he's not there. So who's going to be their number one target? Here's a great stat for you. You wouldn't think this about Purdue. The last 10, the last 10 meetings versus Ohio State, they're four and six. They've beaten Ohio State several times in the last few in the last decade. So looking at their schedule, they've got a good schedule. They could potentially be seven and zero as they head to late uh, late season showdown with, I believe it is Ohio State late in the year, but got a very favorable schedule early. Your thoughts, Jeff Brom and the Boilers. Yeah, so you know David Bell, like that's going to be the really difficult piece to yep. replace. I know they got a transfer receiver from Iowa, Charlie Jones, but you know, like th- those are big shoes to fill with David Bell. And David Bell was the Iowa killer; like he he tormented Iowa uniquely. Yep. Purdue's had a lot of success against Kirk Ferentz and the Hawkeyes, and David Bell was at the heart of that. Um, you know, the, the that Penn State opener for Purdue, like it, it that Ricky. that is such a Ricky. huge. That is such a huge game because if Purdue can get past that, uh, then then you know you're going to see the confidence skyrocket. Um, but you know Purdue is in in conference openers. Like I know that Purdue's played Northwestern in a conference opening game Labor Day weekend in the past hasn't gone well, um, and Purdue stubbed its toe in other season openers or, or, or other early season games. I remember Purdue blowing a big lead at Nevada a few years ago. Yeah. So that Penn State game, that is freighted with so much importance. Penn State, I believe, is a three and a half point favorite. And you know, Penn State usually has a very good defense. So and and you know Purdue, you know, has an offense, as you know, that is very pass happy. Um short passes are basically the running game, you know, extended handoffs, you know, yep. very few yep. handoffs in the backfield to a setback. That's just not how Purdue operates it generally doesn't have the personnel to do that so you know that Penn State opener is going to be a real challenge but if Purdue wins that look out it could be it could be a special season but I I would say if if you ask me right now I I put my money on Penn State's defense and that's even though Penn State you know loses Brent Pry to Virginia Tech and you have Manny Diaz coming in I think that's a downgrade but I don't think it's enough of a downgrade to really affect the Penn State's defensive personnel overall because Penn State's been so solid on that side of the ball under James Franklin. All right, we'll do a quick thought on Penn State. Franklin, obviously, here's my question with Franklin. Every year, for some reason, every year, this guy always looks for other jobs. He's never satisfied in Happy Valley. And why Penn State paid him a fortune, and they pay, they're they paying him a fortune to stay at Penn State. He flirted with your USC Trojans. He was in the mix out there. A lot of talk about, is he one of the guys in the mix out there? I mean, I know he's a good coach and he's a good recruiter, man, but are you, I'm not, I'm not breaking the bank to keep James Franklin. That's just me. Yeah. So to me with James Franklin, the key part is, you know, who's his offensive coordinator because his, his offense looked very bad last year. I know that Sean Clifford got injured, but you know, that Illinois game, like that just scarred every person who watched it, that yes. nine overtime uh, mess. Uh, that was unwatchable football. Uh, so, you know, when when things go bad for a James Franklin offense, they go really bad. And he he has to get an elite play car. And, you know, when he had Joe Moorhead with Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, yep. you know, everything came together. You know, that he had a knockout team 
two straight years. People, Some people think that Penn State should have gotten into the playoff in 2016 over Washington. So when James Franklin has the elite offensive coordinator, everything falls into place. But when he doesn't, then, then that offense looks really difficult. And the other thing with Franklin is he always seems to make a few really big fourth quarter game management errors. Yep. Timeouts, fourth down. Uh, there's there's at least one or two of them every year. And I know it drives Penn State fans crazy. But the, but the upside with Franklin is that if he you give him the elite offensive coordinator, if he can hire the right offensive coordinator, as he did with Moorhead, everything works. And Penn State has an elite program. But you just, you know, that is the variable. And, of course, your your coordinators are going to leave. Like, this is what Dabo Swinney is facing yep. at Clemson yep. this year. Your coordinators are going to leave. So when they leave, can you find the elite replacement and maintain that same high standard? And I would say this, for as good a recruiter as Franklin is, he's not been able to get that elite quarterback to come to Penn State. That nope. dual, that big-time dual threat. It doesn't even have to be a dual threat, but just a big-time quarterback that Penn State in the in the 80s and 90s were known for. They've just not been able to get that. I mean, McSorley's a good player. Clifford's a good player. But they're not dynamic. That's the one thing they've just not had at Penn State in, in many, many years. Absolutely. They're, they're looking for their next Kerry Collins. You got it. All right, let's go to Michigan State. Mel Tucker, again, sleeper team in my opinion. He's, he's doing a good job building that program. He got a huge raise to stay at Michigan State. His name was in the mix at some other jobs. What are your thoughts on the Spartans? They've, you know, Kenneth Walker had a huge year last year for them at running back. Got to replace him. Got to replace the quarterback is back, Peyton Thorne. So your thoughts on Michigan State and Mel Tucker? You know, it, it just felt like a joyride for Michigan State last year. You know, Michigan State trailed Nebraska late, yep. made it made a few big plays to win, uh, trailed Michigan by two touchdowns, was managed to come back and win. And, you know, Michigan State does not have an offense built for comebacks, but it happened against Michigan. Uh, it just everything seemed to fall into place. Now, of course, Ohio State drilled them. Um, but like that was the exception, which proves the rule that. You know, Michigan State had these big weaknesses, especially in the secondary. The secondary was a huge liability yeah, yeah. last year. But all these Big Ten opponents, they didn't have enough quarterback play. They didn't have enough offense to take advantage of that. So I, I see some regression for Michigan State this year. Okay. Uh, just, it, it, you know, and let's, let's keep in mind when as we evaluate teams for 2022, we're coming out of the pandemic. And I say that in this, not in the sense that the pandemic's over. It isn't. But you know, the pandemic season in 2020 was so right. disruptive, right? Players didn't have training table, didn't have any semblance of normal preparation. So 2021, you were getting closer to a normal framework, but it still wasn't fully, you know, right. the way players and, and, and coaches really depend on 2022. You're going to have something much closer to really a normal setup, normal rhythms without, uh, the COVID distractions that were, you know, exponentially magnified in 2020 yep. still lingered to an extent last year. Now they're going to be much uh, felt on a much lower, smaller scale. So, you know, did Michigan State benefit from pandemic uh, confusion, you know, to, to put it in a particular way? You know, did, did Michigan State benefit from all the disruptions and irregularities and, and just the the uneven nature of college football in 2021, I get the sense that that that's true. Uh, that that 2021 felt like an outlier. Uh, and without Kenneth Walker, I just think the margins are going to be really small for that team. 
and you're definitely not going to see 10 or 11 wins. I think, you know, seven or eight is a much, uh, but I think that, but I think there'll be a pain in the neck. I think Mel Tucker's created a culture where there'll be a pain in the neck. They may not, they're not going to probably win the division, but they're going to give Michigan and Ohio state a good game. They're going to be pains in the neck to Penn state and these other teams. Cause I mean, they're going to, they're, they're it, Mel Tucker's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. He knows how to build a program, a saving disciple. So he knows what he's doing. I think they're just going to be a pest. They may, you're right. Win total wise may not be as good, but I think they're going to be a pain in the neck. So. They, they, they really worked the transfer portal hard too. Yep. I'm looking over their uh, transfer portal sheet. They got a ton of transfers and, and a lot of them from power five programs. So if you're, if you are optimistic about Michigan state, you believe that all these transfer portal acquisitions are going to max out and all provide substantial value at their respective positions. All right, let's go to the biggest enigma in the conference, in my opinion. Lincoln, Nebraska, Scott Frost, just for whatever reason, has not been able to get it turned around at Nebraska. Three and nine last year. They lose nine. All nine losses were by single digits. Unbelievable. Eight of those nine were by one score. I mean, just every which way but lose. They figured out a way to lose these games in the last, you know, last half of the fourth quarter. I mean, uh, Adrian Martinez seemed like he was there for 100 years. He's finally gone. They bring in Casey Thompson, the Texas transfer, who played a lot of Texas last year. You know, they're playing in Ireland to start off the Big Ten against Northwestern, a game, in my opinion, that is a must-win game for Nebraska. Must. You, you must, cannot lose that must. game. If Absolutely. You are, if you 10,000%. <laughs> yes. Gauntlet in November. <laughs> Minnesota and Wisconsin and at Michigan and at Iowa in the month of November. Your thoughts on Nebraska and just – why have they not been able to get over the hump? I mean, athlete-wise, they're probably pretty close to most everybody. Why can they not get over the hump in the Big Ten and be more competitive? Yeah, well, I've spent years watching Adrian Martinez, and you know <laughs> he was he was the kind of quarterback who would absolutely drive you up a wall. So imagine what Scott Frost had to deal with. You know, he can run. He's athletic. He's talented. Like he had plus athleticism. He yes. has more mobile and agile than most of the quarterbacks you'll see in college football. But in big moments and in terms of drop back passing, processing plays, making the, the sound percentage-based yeah. decision, yeah. just couldn't do it. And they, they could not get him turned around. I, I think of when I when I think of Adrian Martinez, I mean obviously he's more of a scrambler and a dual threat guy, but just in terms of a guy who like you know, you look at him and you say, hey, he has talent, but it, it, there's just something missing. I, my mind goes back to Doug Johnson, the Florida yeah. Gator quarterback yeah. in the late 1990s. Like he had the body, he had the athleticism, he had the physical tools, but it just didn't come together because his yeah. his football IQ, his mind, his composure just didn't rise to the surface enough. You know, and that's the biggest why Florida, and they lost so many heartbreakers. That's right, and that's why Florida took a step back under Spurrier before Rex Grossman came in and won the won another SEC championship. So, like, that's the comparison with Adrian Martinez. So, as we look at Casey Thompson, the transfer from Texas, I think that's a clear upgrade. I think that's a solid upgrade. And you have Mark Whipple coming in as the offensive coordinator. And yep. what did he do last year? He turned Kenny Pickett into a first-round NFL draft pick. You know, he got the most out of that Pittsburgh offense with Jordan Addison, who's now, you know, at USC, where I'm going to be covering him this, this season with under Lincoln Riley. So Mark Whipple maxed out that Pittsburgh offense. You give him Casey Thompson. I think that's a that's a good formula for Nebraska. I do think the Huskers will make a bowl game, which, you know, if we're being honest, 
That's the goal. Like eight wins would be great if you can get it, but let's just let's just get to a darn bowl game first, right. which Scott Frost has not yet done. And I think Nebraska can do that. I think Nebraska wins at least six, maybe seven. I think they get to a bowl game because they were so close last year. But Adrian Martinez in crunch time, just not the right formula. So Whipple with Casey Thompson, that's going to get Nebraska to a bowl game, and that will relieve some of the heat. Not yep. all, some Yep. on Scott Frost. Now, Scott Frost, if he wants to really relieve the heat on his seat, he's going to win nine games. Then he, then he's in, then he's in like Flynn. Right. But I, I would say six or seven this year for Nebraska. And, 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 and deep down, I, I you know, tr- remember Trev Albers is the new AD at Nebraska, Nebraska guy, Scott Frost is a Nebraska guy. I don't think Trev Alberts wants to fire. Scott no way. Frost. They want no them way. to succeed, but Absolutely. you can't keep winning three and four games. Exactly. Usually with the incoming athletic director who didn't hire the actual coach, that the AD is looking for a new guy to hire, but not in this case. Absolutely right. I'm with you. All right, let's head to Wisconsin, Madison, Party Town, USA, from all all I hear. Never been, but I I hear the the kids like to have a good time at Madison on the weekends. Um, (laughs) All right, not a great year last year. Graham Mertz must be better at quarterback. He's he's a touted recruit, Paul Christ. Thought this guy was going to be a good player for them. Has just kind of like Adrian Martinez has all the athletic yes. ability. Yes. Just, but just can't put it together yet. And this guy's younger. So he's still got some time, but he's on that same trajectory as an Adrian Martinez. A bruising full, a bruising tailback, Braylon Allen, 240 pounder, not your typical kind of a Ron Dane kind of guy. You know, yes. he ran for 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns as a freshman. They're going to give him the ball probably 25 to 30 times. They're not afraid to do that in the, at Wisconsin. Big bruising offensive line, not like usual. Is it going to be another one of those grinded out kind of teams for, for Wisconsin, or are they going to be able to be effective enough in the passing game to make some do some damage in the conference? That is the question. You're so right about Graham Mertz uh, that you you see you know a lot of potential there, but it just hasn't fallen into place. So like this is the prove it moment of truth. No excuses here for Graham Mertz, and you know. Braylon Allen, like if he's coming at me <laughs> on a football field, on a basketball court, like I'm not, I'm getting out of the way. Yeah. That, that dude is physical. He's chiseled. He's tough. He might be just the best between the tackles inside runner in, in the, the whole sport. Like, the is there another better, nastier, more bruising running back than Braylon Allen? Uh, it's going to be hard to find one. Uh, who's in this same league, just in terms of getting the tough yards, uh, bouncing off the, the first hit, the first yep. point of contact. So like Wisconsin, if, if Wisconsin gets into third and one, fourth and short on a regular basis this year, that's good. because Braylon Allen is going to get that tough yard. It's it's about the passing game and can Mert, uh, Graham Mertz, you know, hit, hit deep shots when, when defenses are loading up the box to stop Braylon Allen. That's what the whole thing comes down to because you know Wisconsin's defense is going to be good again, uh, under Jim Leonard, uh, the coordinator who, you know, if I'm an AD looking for a hire, yes. uh, I, I'm having him at the top of my list. Now, of course, Leonard might be waiting to get a job with the Green Bay Packers. You know, that he might, or he might just be playing the long game. Like when Paul, if Paul Christ struggles decides to hang struggles it up or struggles, you know, then, yep. Then, then Leonard might want to uh, succeed him. So Leonard might want to just stay in the state of Wisconsin, either with the Badgers yep. or with the Green Bay Packers. 
But if I'm an AD, like I'm putting all my chips in yep. to hire him uh, for like a lower tier power five job or a t- top tier group of five job. Anyway, so you know the Wisconsin defense is going to be good. It all comes down to the offense. You know that the running game is going to be solid. That leaves the passing game, which yep. has failed to click the past few years. You know, Jack Cohn, before he transferred to Notre Dame, you know, he was a good quarterback at the end of the 2019 season. Got Wisconsin to the Rose Bowl. Did a good job. You know, he wasn't a great quarterback, but he got better. Uh, there were doubts about his ability to put all the pieces together. And, and he generally succeeded before he went to the Irish and uh, Brian Kelly. Um, so Graham Mertz has had a couple years you know, to figure this all out. And he, he, you know, there are a few teams that are more dependent on one guy than Wisconsin is on Graham Mertz. The, the, all the other surrounding pieces are there. Quarterback just needs to stand and deliver. That's what it's about. All right, get you a couple more things. We'll get you out of here on the Big Ten. Hot seats. We've already talked about Scott Frost. I'm going to bring up two other names, not because of their record. I mean, one may because of his record, but two, more more so because they've been at these places for a long time, and maybe the message is just getting stale at some point. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Not that they would necessarily get fired, but maybe they just said, hey, I've had my long run here. I've been here a long time. Maybe it's time to go somewhere else. Your thoughts on those two guys in general? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Iowa having won the Big Ten West last year, playing in the Big Ten Championship game. I mean, Ferentz will stay at Iowa until he retires. And, and like, he's not going to get fired from that job. He basically gets to call his shot. Now, I would say that if Iowa had stumbled last year yeah, and uh, the the Hawkeyes had not, you know, met their goals uh, in 2021, then then his his situation might have been a lot more tenuous. But I think after winning the Big Ten West – Ferentz gets to stay until he 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 wants to kind of like Hayden Fry. Let Hayden Fry yes. ride it out. Yes, and then with Pat Fitzgerald, I mean Northwestern loves him. Northwestern supports him, and I think he's going to get a very very long leash. You know, and and the thing about Fitz is that he'll have a great year, and then he'll have two bad years, and then he'll have a great year. Yeah, and it just Northwestern just goes up and down. It's like. It's almost as I don't think Fitz plans it this way, but it does work out this way that he'll he'll you know load all his resources into one team. Like when he's recruiting class, when he thinks he can do it, when he thinks he can do really well, he generally hits the target. But he puts everything into one year, and then you have the inevitable slide. Like it it it, it occurs very regularly uh, as a pattern, and then he'll make another run. So um, he'll he will get a very long leash because Northwestern's in love with him. Who do you think is on the hot seat? Guy like Tom Allen in Indiana? Maybe um, give me give me a hot seat. Is PJ Fleck in any kind of trouble? Uh, you know, I think that if uh, I, I don't think anyone's on an especially hot seat uh, in the Big Ten, other than Scott Frost. Like right. you know, if Scott Frost misses a bowl game, there will be intense pressure on uh, Trev Alberts right. to fire him. Um, but I don't think anyone else is on an especially hot seat. But I would say that Maryland, yes. Mike Loxley. You know, you have Talia uh, Tagovailoa coming back. You have a lot of athletic receivers coming back. You know, they scored over 50 points against Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl. And that's a young team coming back. You know, there is going to be an expectation that Maryland is going to be better, noticeably better than it was. So if Maryland doesn't make a bowl game, Loxley might 
probably doesn't get fired, but he definitely puts himself on the hot seat for 2023. So I think that's as hot a seat as you're going to get uh, which is, in the which, Big Ten right now, con- other than Scott Frost. I was going to say, which for a conference that's as big as the Big Ten is, that's that's rare that only one guy who's really would deem to be in any kind of hot water. Normally these Big Five, yeah. you know, Big Ten, Big uh, Power Five conferences, yeah. handful of guys that are in some heat. Uh, yeah, I would also say James Franklin, you know, Penn State's paying him a ton of money. If this season is as bad as last season is, Franklin will enter 2023 on the hot seat. All right. So we both, I, I think we both think Ohio state's kind of the cream of the crop of yes. the conference. Who, who, who do you, who do you got getting out of the other side to see Ohio state in the uh, big 10 championship game? You know, Wisconsin's missed the uh, big 10 title game, two straight seasons. It's hard to imagine that going to three. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go with the Badgers just because, you know, Jim Leonard's defense is going to be great. And surely, you, you know, you'd think that Graham Mertz is going to be better, maybe not fantastic, but better to the point that, you know, all the other pieces around him are going to be enough to win the division. Who Who's the most indispensable player in the conference? Is it C.J. Stroud at Ohio State? Uh, You know, I, I don't have a, a great read about Ohio State's backup quarterback situation, but I do know that there's so much talent surrounding the quarterback position at Ohio State uh, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately reflexively say yes on that one, I, I think Mertz. I would say I Graham say Mertz. That, I was just thinking that, about that. Mertz, that you might have be, yeah. you have all the other pieces to the puzzle, and if if Mertz, that one guy, does well, like that's it. That guarantees Wisconsin's success, and I don't think you can say that about many other players in the Big Ten. Where if this one guy plays well, the rest of the team's going to be great. You know, you don't need to worry about yeah. whatever all the other uh, players on the team are doing. So Graham Mertz. All right, there you have it, folks. Big Ten preview great job by matt zemek we are going to be right back in just a minute we are going to talk pac 12 really matt zemek's wheelhouse being based out on the west coast we're going to get into all things usc lots of uh big expectations out in la both la both usc and ucla have some expectations so we'll be right back in just a minute with the pac 12 preview stay tuned powers on sports podcast back to the podcast in just a moment Fans, if you're looking for a podcast that centers around your favorite college football team or conference, check out the College Football Coast to Coast podcast platform. There's going to be podcasts from all over the country covering the SEC, all things Florida college football, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, Notre Dame, and even your favorite service academy. There's going to be writers and analysts on the podcast each week, breaking down all the major storylines from all your favorite teams, games, and conferences from all over the country. Controversies, coaching decisions, recruiting, and much, much more. So check out the College Football Coast to Coast podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review to your favorite podcast. Are you ready to profit this college football and NFL season? Do you need picks to make with your sports gambling outlet? Reach out to 813-542-7559. Picks to Profits offer a flat monthly fee of $100. You will get at least six picks every week for $100 a month. One flat fee, no excuses, no extra fees involved. Picks will be emailed and texted to you on game day, whether it's a Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, or even Monday night. Those picks will be texted straight to your device 
via text message and email. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to Profit, 813-542-7559. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home as a first-time home buyer? Do you want to upsize your current living situation or maybe even downsize? The kids are gone. You want to downsize to a condo, townhouse, or a smaller home? Reach out to me at Titan Home Lending. You need an FHA loan, a VA loan, a conventional loan, a jumbo loan, even a bank statement loan for you self-employed business owners out there. Reach out, Titan Home Lending. Anywhere in the state of Florida, I can help you. From Key West to Pensacola to Orlando and everywhere in between, whether it's a primary residence, a secondary home, or even an investment property, I can help you get financed and get approved. So reach out to Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. You just heard us talk all things Big Ten. Now we're going west like Digger Feltz. Phelps used to say, go West, young man. Let's go West. And uh, Matt Zemick's going to stay with us. Matt Zemick, uh, editor, Trojan Wire, part of the USA Today uh, network of uh, football, college football coverage. Matt covers all things USC, basketball, football, all things Pac-12, super dialed in what's going on out West. So thanks for staying with us, Matt. Again, you're doing a great job. Preseason top 25 teams in the big Pac-12. Only three teams: Utah at seven, Oregon at eleven, USC fourteen. You think that's a, you think that's about right? No, I don't. And here, here's the thing: uh, I don't I have no objections to Utah being first, and I also don't really have a strong objection to USC being fourteenth, fifteenth. You know where we've seen in the the AP poll, the coaches poll. My beef is is really more about positioning. Oregon being above USC. That's my thing. That's the thing that I just can't understand because one team is quarterbacked by Bo Nix. The other (laughs) team is quarterbacked by Caleb Williams. So, you know, if we're, if we're comparing dinners, one's a sloppy Joe, one's a Chateaubriand, (laughs) one's a New York T-bone. All right. So, you know, so, you know, you can't put the team with the sloppy Joe ahead of the team with the New York T-bone, right? You know, but I've seen Bo Nix. You've seen Bo Nix. What now? He makes an amazing, you know, 1975 Fran Tarkenton play <laughs> every now and then. He'll be who Harry Houdini and he'll make just the most fabulous improvisational plays once in a while. But over the course of 60 minutes, like he's an average at best quarterback. Right. He's, he's a mediocre quarterback. I mean, Auburn fans know this. Auburn fans are thrilled to have him gone. You're you're ranking a team with Bo Nix ahead of Caleb Williams, who you know is probably the favorite right now. If you ask who's going to be the number one pick in the 2024 NFL draft two years from now, it's Caleb Williams. His upside is enormous, and he gets a second year with Lincoln Riley, and then he's going to have a third year next year. Uh, you know, he has a, an amazing toolbox of skills. You know, he can sprint, not just run, but sprint. Like he he he's a guy who can get 50-yard touchdown runs, 50-yard touchdown passes. And we remember he he stole the ball from his teammate yeah. on fourth and one against Kansas last year. No other quarterback makes that kind of play. No other quarterback has the awareness to make that kind of heads-up play 
And Caleb Williams is going to be surrounded by a great receiving core led by Jordan Addison coming yep. from Pitt. He's a projected top 15 first round pick. So you're going to rank an Oregon team with Bo Nix ahead of this juggernaut USC offense. Well, so I'll, I'll like, push back a little I, bit. I what just to finish our, the point just to finish the point like utah ahead of usc fine like utah's loaded utah's yep. the real deal picking utah's pac-12 champion that's fine picking usc to be outside the top 10 also fine because usc has depth issues on both lines That'll especially like, yep. defense and the defense is a really huge concern that's a very thin unit and in year one under lincoln riley that that defense is not going to be at the level needed to get USC to the college football playoff. So I have no problem with either of those, but you can't rake a team with Bo Nix ahead of a team with Caleb Williams. You just cannot do that. <laughs> so I don't get why people are placing Oregon ahead of USC. That's my beef with the preseason polls. That, that That's a valid argument. I would probably say that probably happened because of the concerns of depth. I think your, your question of does USC have enough on the, in the trenches where Oregon with Cristobal had established their trenches, had established that stuff. You bring in Dan Lanning, a defensive guy, you know, and obviously Lanning's never coached a game, so we don't know how he'll do as a head coach. But again, 11th or 14th, who cares? I mean, in the scheme of things, yeah. who cares? If they win if they win their games, they're both going to move up and one's going to fall. So it's not, to me, it's not yeah, that yeah. big a deal. It's but not I get the your point. number. It's just who, which team's better. I and get your point. To me, I, get your point. I think there's no question which team is better. So USC, obviously Lincoln Riley coming in. Is this going to be the year they're going to be competitive? I think they want to win games. Is this going to be a year where they're going to have to score thirty-five to forty every week to win these games and these conference games? And then, and then the couple big, bigger games that they're going to have, the Notre Dames of the world down the road. Is that going to how? Is that going to be how they're going to have to win games most weeks? Is outscoring everybody? Zero question. USC is going to have to score forty uh, in, in in most of its. Uh, Pac-12 games, especially against the top tier of the conference, you know, yeah. that that defense is going to struggle. Like, you know, the 2021 USC defense gave up 62 points to UCLA. It gave up over 42, a bunch of teams in home games at the Coliseum. So, you know, even with, with getting some transfers such as Shane Lee from Alabama and Romello Height from Auburn and and uh, various yeah. other pieces to the puzzle, uh, Makai Blackman in the secondary, you know, they're going to be good, but can't go through a season with all these roster holes and all these limitations and not pay a price at some point so that usc defense is 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 gonna you know struggle a lot but the offense has the tools to put to be a 40 point offense i mean 40 points every week like that's not too much to ask uh, you know the uh alabama offense that won the national championship in 2020 the coordinated by steve sarkeesian uh quarterbacks by Mac Jones. Then you had Heisman winner Devontae Smith, 48.5 points a game, if I remember correctly. Uh, So USC, the idea that USC can average 40 with Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Travis Dye, Austin Jones, Mario Williams, and and a strong first string offensive line. Now the offensive line, there's a depth question. There's a depth issue, but the starting offensive line, has good players. Andrew Voorhees, most of all, Brett Nealon, uh, you know, Jonah Monheim. Like that, the starting offensive line is expected to be good. And so if that if that offensive line can stay healthy, in many ways, I think it's the centerpiece of the whole season. If the offensive line stays healthy, the rest of the offense is going to rock and roll. And 
USC's defense, you know, what what does USC's defense need to achieve? I think if USC's defense can allow 30 points a game, now that that sounds really, really bad, but really in this modern era of college football Not and with a Lincoln Riley offense, like we remember Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, you know, he he the Oklahoma would play Texas Tech and get into a 6659, you know, that yeah. was the Baker Mayfield Patrick Mahomes game. Yeah. If if USC's allowing 30, like that's that's going to be okay. I think if USC allows 35, 36, that's Probably. that's problematic. But I think if USC allows on the dot an average of 30 a game, yeah. that's going to get USC a good a very good bowl game and a very good result. I think USC definitely wins 10 games if the defense uh, allows 30. Now now it could work out that you know USC loses a couple one or two point games, but I would say broadly if you told me right now USC's defense allows 30, Caleb Williams is going to be able to score more than 30 at least 10 times uh if not more. So just in terms of broader averages, 30 a game def- on defense probably gets it done for USC in terms of 10 wins, making the Pac-12 championship game making a New Year's Six Bowl game. And if, and if USC is able to do those things in year one, that bodes Look well out. for the Look future because you know they're going to build depth. You know they're going to build a better defense. This is the year to get Lincoln Riley. This is the year when he's uniquely vulnerable. It's only going to get better from here. So right now, if you were to tell me USC allows exactly 30 points a game, I would sign on the dotted line because it means they're not allowing 35. They're not allowing 38. They're not allowing 40. Yep. Uh, I would be I would be comfortable with that. Can they can they get to week seven, the showdown with Utah undefeated? You know, that would be great. And it does bring up the the, the point that I think the key game for, for USC in terms of you know reaching the basic goals, which are get in the Pac 12 championship game, get yep. to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Those those are the absolute goals that USC has to make this year. You know, we can't really think about playoff yet because right. of the limitations of the roster right. Pac-12 champion and the Rose Bowl would be great right like that I think that's the highest goal USC can realistically attain but the minimum is 10 wins Pac-12 title game and a New Year's Six Bowl the the game that really is the, the key to getting there it's not the Utah game the Utah game is for you know the college football playoff right and potential you know birth in, in the national championship you know uh, being able to make a run at that also, the Notre Dame game, you know, if USC is a is a 10 and one heading into the Notre Dame game, then that could have playoff level sure, sure. stakes. But just in terms of hitting the 10 win mark and getting to a New Year's six bowl, the Oregon State game, that's week four, yep. September 24 yep. in Corvallis. If USC gets past that landmine, there's no other Pac-12 road game other than Utah, which, you know, really looks like a, a trap or a, or a tricky uh, situation That's a tough and, U- game. and USC should be able to handle all its home games very easily. You know, Arizona, Arizona, Colorado, uh, you know, okay. Arizona is a road game, but you know, Colorado, yep. uh, the other, uh, oh, games they get, the if they slate, get, you're right. If they get through Utah with one loss, they only have UCLA and Notre Dame at the end that have any chance of being competitive with them. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if USC gets by Oregon state, then I, I think USC is almost certain to be eight and one yeah. in the Pac-12. And if you're eight and one in the Pac-12, you're going to be in the conference championship game. And if you beat Notre Dame, yeah. you will be in the mix for yeah. bigger goals. So remember, it's really that Oregon State game. And you know, you know, studying college football history, Pete Carroll 
got got uh, ambushed got up there, Dallas yeah. a few times yeah. by the Mike Riley Oregon State teams. And the other thing about that game, again, week four. So if USC's defense, which is going to struggle this season, you know, might not have everything figured out in week four. And yeah. Oregon State, of course, loves to run the ball. So what's Oregon State going to do? You know what the Beavers going to do under Jonathan Smith. They're going to try to control the clock. They're going to try to get 38, 39, 40 minutes yeah. time of possession to keep Caleb Williams off the field. And Oregon State might be equipped to pull that off. And USC's defense, in terms of its evolutionary curve, might not yet be ready early, right. you know, in, right. in, in September. Uh, I think USC would really like to play that game in Corvallis like in late October when the defense has had more time to gel, more time to really come together. So that's my big worry, that the USC defense will not be ready, especially up front, to handle the Oregon State smash-mouth style, and Caleb Williams just might watch that game from the sidelines. That's yeah. the big worry. But if right. USC can survive that test, it's all set up for, for winning 10, getting to the Pac-12 title game, and having a chance to play for everything in late November, early December. And remember, remember fans, the Pac-12 has gone away from division, so the top two teams are going to the Pac-12 title game. No matter who it is, the top two records are going. So, um, you know, you could have two teams from the same, theoretically, the division could play each other in the title game, the, the old division. So, all right, let's go to Salt Lake City. Uh, Whittingham just keeps getting it done. Cam Rising, huge. They had a great uh, Rose Bowl game with Ohio State last year. Rising had a, had a great game. Tavion Thomas, the tailback's back. Four of their five receivers are back. They're only one of 20 schools in the 21 schools in the country to have their head coach, their quarterback, and both coordinators back this year. Only 21 teams have that combination where they've all returned. So veteran experience. Whittingham always gets the best out of his kids. They're recruiting better and better as they've been in the big Pac-12 more and more years. They're getting better and better athletes. More and more kids are going to Salt Lake City and wanting to go. Um Talk about Utah and that program. There, to me, most uh, by most prognosticators, they're the favorite to win the to win the conference this year. Yeah, and it's entirely fair to put uh, the Utes as the favorite in the Pac-12. And one thing to keep in mind, and USC fans will identify with this. You know, in 2016, what do we remember about that season for USC? Sam Darnold was not the starter in Week One on opening day. It took a few weeks for the coaching staff to put Darnold in. But once they put Darnold in, USC took off that season, played in the Rose Bowl. So what happened with Utah last year? It's very similar to what happened with Sam Darnold and USC in 2016. Utah had Charlie Brewer, the former quarterback at Baylor, yep. as the starter for week one, opening day. But he struggled, and it took Whittingham and his staff a few weeks to hand over the keys to Cam Rising. It's, the sa it's really the same pattern as Darnold. Yep. Uh, several years earlier. So, you know, so Cam Rising leads Utah to the Rose Bowl. And so now he gets the keys at the start of the season. So, like, he should be primed for a big year. And, and you know, when you realize, you know, what was keeping Utah from the Pac-12 uh, mountaintop? What prevented the Utes from winning the Pac-12 championship for several years? It was quarterback. Passing game. Their, the passing their quarterback, game. Their quarterback generally held them back. Now, Tyler Huntley was a great player but he got injured you know ran into those yep. particular problems yep. uh yeah so he was unlucky in that regard but usually you know, the utah quarterback would make a big mistake usually in, in a november game 
uh, of importance, and he'd slip on the banana peel, and the Utes would would lose. They also lost the uh, 2018 Pac-12 title game, scored just three points uh, against the Washington Huskies. So Utah finally has the quarterback to make everything else. It's kind of like what's what would Wisconsin be with Graham Mertz, um, you know, playing well. Well, Cam Rising is the quarterback who played well and made all the other pieces at Utah uh, supremely effective. So. He should have a good year, and for that reason, the Utah team should have a very good year. And, of course, they get USC at home, so that's a huge advantage. That's probably going to be a night game. It's going to be a, a Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet primetime game on uh, ESPN ABC. And then they have the, the game at Oregon in November. Yes. Uh, and it's going to be fascinating to see where those two teams are in their evolution when it happens. But I would certainly give Utah the edge of Oregon. And, again, Bo Nix. Like that's that's all I have to say about yep, you know yep. how Oregon measures up against both Utah and USC. Um, and and then the other thing to mention with Utah, you know, credit to Whittingham for playing this Week One game in the swamp. I was going to mention that. That, that not many be- not many coaches are willing to do that. And of course, you have Billy Napier in his first year uh, with the Gators. So upset you know, alert! It'll, upset it'll alert! In Gainesville. Yep, it'll be fascinating to see if Napier can get something out of Anthony Richardson in that first game. Now, it's, now I would I would bet that it's probably going to take him a while to put all the pieces together with Richardson, with the Florida offense, uh, after last year's mess and implosion under Dan Mullen. So for that reason, like I think Utah's a team that you don't want to play in week one. I, I think that Florida would really like to play Utah in early October or you know in the middle of the season. Getting Utah in week one, I think it's tougher on the Gators, not the youth. So I I'll, do like Utah to come out of that game with a win. I'll say this, though. I'm going to put John a little bit of upset alert because two things. One, the crowd is going to be electric that day because it's game one of the Napier era. Okay, yep. so there's not the malaise of Dan Mullen. And two, the humidity. Utah is yeah. not, not going to be prepared for that humidity. Say what What's you want. What's the weather forecast? That'll be an interesting plot point when we get to like 48 hours before kickoff. Humidity Absolutely down true. here is a different humidity than it is West Coast heat. I mean, I know it's hot in Utah, but it ain't. it's not hot and sticky as it is here. And that humidity is a definite factor yeah. for these West Coast, for these other teams that come to Florida for the first time. So that's one thing I would say is the crowd and the, the weather could be a, a, a equalizer in that game. And 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 back to Utah, one more point on Utah. Utah might have one of the top five most underrated home crowds in the country, especially a night game in, in Salt Lake City. It's an electric atmosphere. Yeah, it's extremely hard to win in Salt Lake City when, when Utah is really good. There's no question about it. And I think, just to go on record here, I do think Utah is going to beat USC in that mid-October home game. But the thing about USC, you know, for any Trojan fans or uh, listening to the Powers on Sports podcast is that precisely because the Pac-12 did away with divisions, you right. know, that means that USC can get a rematch right. against Utah. If the if the Pac-12 had kept the divisional format, then you know that Utah game would be a must-win for USC. But here, it's not. USC can win its other eight Pac-12 games, get a rematch with Utah, and gain revenge right. in Las Vegas in December. So it's not a win-at-all-cost game for USC. It's a game USC would love to win, but it's not a game USC absolutely has to win unless USC loses that Oregon State battle in late September. All right, let's go to the other side of L.A., UCLA. Chip Kelly, 
DTR back for his fourth year. I mean, vet, as experienced as you can be in that offense, you know, he's gotten better and better every year. He's not elite, but he's gotten better and better every year. The run game is a major key cog in that for you at UCLA, him running the ball. They've got uh, what's what's the what's the uh, the kid's name, the tailback? Charbonnet. Charbonnet, the, the Michigan transfer, had a great year. Only two starters back on defense. To me, defense is where UCLA has to make a make a jump to be competitive. Can they can they be competitive and be a sleeper team in the in in the Pac-12? So you know, I, I I'm a USC blogger. I edit a USC <laughs> site, so it's natural for me to to talk down UCLA and uh, diminish what the Bruins are capable of. So people might think I'm just plain biased, but UCLA's defense is a problem. Yeah. You know, and there's a reason that Chip Kelly sacked defensive coordinator Jerry Azanaro, replaced him with Bill McGovern. Like that, that defense is just a huge liability. And the, the offense is going to have to max out. It's really a very similar situation to what we have at USC. That DTR and the rest of that offense, they're going to have to score in the 40s right. on a regular basis if UCLA uh, is going to max out. And, you know, I don't see that happening because, you know, DTR, he's extremely talented. Uh, and, but you know, usually something goes wrong at some point, like that's been the Chip Kelly story right. at UCLA. And the other thing to point out here is that UCLA's non-conference schedule is a joke. Three cupcakes, you know, it's just too much sugar, too much fat. Uh, that non-conference schedule is not going to prepare the Bruins, uh, for the grind of the Pac-12. And so, you know, so when people say UCLA might win eight games, like eight and four is a failure for UCLA. UCLA their moment of, on the schedule, their moment of truth is week six. You got Utah by then Oregon. Those that th- three yep. week stretch. If they yep. can somehow either split or win them both, must look, look must out. split, must split. Right. But uh, but eight and let's just be clear: eight and four with this schedule. You know, basically three automatic wins. Yeah. In the non-con. So that means going five and four in the Pac-12, like that's a failure. With I agree with DTR, you know, coming back for one more year, UCLA needs to win at least nine games right. to feel at least somewhat good about its season. And frankly, UCLA should be shooting for ten wins the again, game. since it has three gimmies in the non-con. You know, it, 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 and you know, let's let's keep in mind that Lincoln Riley is going to have a tougher, deeper, more fully stocked USC team next year. Chip Kelly is not recruiting well, and he's had some guys uh, leave the program. Like recruiting is not uh, surging at UCLA, to put it mildly. Gotcha. So Chip Kelly better get Lincoln Riley this year, just in terms of his uh, worldview, his outlook at UCLA, and also how athletic director Martin Jarmond uh, views Chip Kelly. If he doesn't beat Lincoln Riley this year, he ain't beating him next year, and then it probably means he's not going to ever beat him. Uh, in terms of the USC UCLA rival, if they if they can split with Utah and Oregon, that USC game could be for the for the berth in the championship game. Yeah, sure. That's no why doubt. it's an absolute must for UCLA to split those uh, Utah Oregon games. All right, Dan Lanning in Oregon, defensive coordinator at Georgia under Kirby, kind of a weird hire. Didn't really I, you but no, would know better than I do. Nobody kind of his name wasn't on the radar at least I, to me. Does he have any West Coast connections? What was the connection with Dan Lanning to Oregon? Well, you know, Dan Lanning, he just he he has leaned into marketing the Ducks as, you know, okay. we're we're the SEC team in the Pac-12. Okay. We're the SEC team in the Northwest. So that he's taken a uh, 
he's applied a Southern branding approach, okay. you know, the SEC marketing style and taken that to Eugene. So, you know, I, I can certainly see this working. And, and in fact, you know, Lanning preaches a physical rugged style in that sense. He's not very different from Mario Cristobal, the guy right. he replaced. Right. I, I get the sense that Oregon's not going to be tremendously different in terms of what it wants to do what it wants to accomplish. I think that physical domination up front is going to be the centerpiece of, of the landing project in Eugene. So that's not too much of a deviation from Cristobal. And I think in many ways, the, the fate of the ducks and the fate of the program rests on, I mean, this year, Bo Nix, but next on a longer term basis, Kenny Dillingham, and yeah. you know him from his work at Auburn and especially Florida state. Florida state. Yeah. So, you know, a very mixed record, I mean, he does recruit well, so you can see the upside with him and the potential. But in terms of X's and O's, you know, is he, is he ready for the big time? Right. And I, I'm I'm a skeptic. Uh, so, you know, for that, that's another reason why I'm skeptical of Oregon. But if Kenny Dillingham really does hit the marks as a coordinator, as a play caller, then Oregon could be an elite national player once again under Dan Lanning. I mean, like Dan Lanning, he knows defense, but what what do head coaches often uh, get measured by and why do their careers either succeed or fail? It's by the, their choice of the opposite coordinator. You know, so if you're a defense guy as Lanning is, you have to nail your offensive coordinator hire. Let's consider for a moment what happened at another Northwest school, Washington, Jimmy Lake. No one questions his credentials as a defensive mind, but he hired John Donovan Disaster. as his offensive coordinator. No one wanted John Donovan as an offensive coordinator. There was no marketplace for him. And it was an absolutely atrocious hire, which tanked the Washington program. So the, the, the coach made a terrible hire of his opposite coordinator. Right. And that sank the Huskies. So really, Oregon, I don't, I don't doubt Dan Lenning's ability to coach defense. To me, it's all about Kenny Dillingham's ability to uh, be, become an elite play caller. That's going to determine how successful Oregon is, not just this year, but throughout the landing era. Give me give me an off-the-radar team. It sounds like by what you said, an off-the-radar team to make some noise, be a pain in the neck. Sounds like you like Oregon State is kind of that sleeper team to make a move if somebody, was, somebody were to come out of nowhere. There are two sleeper teams in the Pac-12, and one of them is Oregon State for the reasons already mentioned that Oregon State, I can easily see Oregon State beating USC. I think USC wins a close one, but I think Oregon State can easily win that game. The other one is Washington State. And with Washington State, the, the, the key point is Cam Ward. Uh, you know, transfer from Immaculate Word. So that's an FCS school off the radar, but put up insane numbers there. And so if Cam Ward exceeds expectations, and there's, there's, a, there's a fair amount of hype. So if, like, if he meets expectations, Washington State's going to be very good. If he exceeds expectations... Look out. Then you can talk about Washington State as a team that might be able to beat Oregon and might be able to get into the Pac-12 title game if USC picks up a few key injuries, stumbles. Right. right. You know, let's envision, let's envision a world in which USC does lose that landmine type game against Oregon State. And then uh, you know, the Oregon under Dan Lanning and Bo right. Nix, you know, loses a few games that it, it really shouldn't. We could have, uh, we could generally have a scenario where Oregon State versus Washington State, when they play this Pac-12 season, that that could be for the spot opposite Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. 
Not saying it's likely, but in terms of like if you're looking for a an under the radar scenario, you know, a, like a surprise scenario, yep. that would be it. That's that's great. It's a great point. My only concern would be Rolovich is suing the university. There's all that scandal going on with him suing the school. So I wonder how you know just all that plays out in in a small town like Pullman. You know, we're around the program. That's the one thing I would make, I would make. Jake, a little... It has to be said though, Jake Dickert did a great job of keeping that team together in the okay. second half of last season after the Rolovich mess exploded. You know, Washington State hammered Washington in Seattle in the Apple Cup. Now, you could point out, well, what about the bowl game? Washington State got run out of the building Uh, by Central Michigan uh, in the Sun Different set of circumstances. Different set of circumstances. Bowl games are always. And and one has to make the point that Jaden Delora transferred out of Washington State. There was obviously something going on there probably connected to that bowl game right? in terms of why Delora transferred out, went to Arizona. So with Cam Ward, I'm, I'm sure that the Cougars feel that they've received an upgrade at the quarterback position. But, you know, Jake Dicker, I think he's going to have that team focused. I don't think you're going to see that team uh, be, you know, overly distracted by the litigation right. and all the, the soap operatic elements up in Pullman. And we're going to get to the QB transfers in a minute because there's a ton of QB transfers in the conference. Hot seat coaches. I'm going to give you three names and tell me if I'm on the mark or if they're, if I need to add somebody. Obviously, Herm Edwards at Arizona State with all the all the swirling <laughs> stuff going on with the coaching and the recruiting and all that stuff, which to me is really surprising because as, as much as Herm Edwards has been a guy that's been, as an analyst, was so, you know, forthright and so you would not have thought Herm Edwards would be involved in this kind of stuff, to be honest with you. At least I didn't. Is David Shaw in the hot seat? Been there for a while, has traditionally has kind of I won't say cratered but they very much have have flattened out and Justin Wilcox at Cal am I missing anybody yeah I think I think Carl Durrell at Colorado you know when uh Colorado did well in the 2020 pandemic season of course that was the year that the Pac-12 played only five or six games right so people were wondering was that a fluke well in 2021 you saw it yes it was a fluke and I think that most people think uh, most people who cover the Pac-12 think that Colorado is going to finish last. Yep. 12th out of the 12 teams. So okay. Durrell could get fired. I, I I would say he probably gets 2023 no matter what. But if Colorado goes 1-11, 2-10, there's going to be a lot of grumbling. Uh, yeah. It's possible he gets fired. I'd say it's like 60-40 he stays. But right. like I think he's definitely going to be out of there by 2023. That program's not going in the right direction. Yeah. Now, in terms of Wilcox and Shaw, nope, they're not on the hot seat. Uh, mm. Stanford loves David Shaw. Also, he he had a great recruiting class. So this might be like a developmental year for that recruiting class. And next year, Stanford should actually have a pretty decent team. But Stanford loves David Shaw. That That's a mutual admiration society yeah. up there. They both like each other. Um, and then Justin Wilcox, let's remember, he was off, he was reportedly offered the Oregon job. He turned it down. Why? Because, you know, COVID in Berkeley with all the COVID restrictions, you know, Cal had to forfeit a, a, a yeah, game. Right. Uh, the, the, it was really hard. And of course, it's really difficult for him to recruit to Berkeley precisely because of all the other surrounding limitations. Let's keep in mind that this whole UC Board of Regents fight about UCLA leaving for the Big Ten, that deals with UCLA needing to subsidize Cal's athletic program. So Cal is 
cash strap. And Justin Wilcox made a very conscious decision. He's he he didn't go to Oregon because the administration at Berkeley knows all the limitations that he's had to deal with. So Wilcox is in a situation where okay. he knows the administration is going to be lenient with him. Like he, the administration is thankful that Wilcox didn't leave. So that's a situation where Wilcox is going to get at least three years. Okay. I mean, like he could, he could be horrible the next three years. He's he, the, but the Berkeley administration is going to reward him. That's the business decision. Justin Wilcox made, he's okay. going to get job security, you know, a secure, steady paycheck. That's why he stayed at Cal. Okay. He could have gone to Oregon. So he is absolutely under zero uh, pressure uh, in terms of his hot seat. It's yeah. it's it's obviously Herm first, and then it's Carl Durrell. And then also Chip Kelly and UCLA go six and six Yeah, with this schedule, maybe seven and five, but definitely six and six. Chip's got to be out of it. Right. I got you. And plus, and plus these ADs are going to be thinking, especially, especially at UCLA, we're going to the big 10 in two years. Yes. Do we yes. want to have a guy that has some big 10 roots and some recruiting and all that? So it'd be interesting to see how they, how, the, how, how these, and the future of the PAC 12, how some of these athletic directors are thinking about their coaching hires of, do I want to get rid of somebody because we potentially are moving to another conference or do I keep somebody because we're staying? All those things are going to be a whirlwind here in the next couple of years with these ad's making coaching hire decisions or not making a decision keeping a guy so all right last yep. thing i want to hit on transfer quarterbacks five quarterbacks that i've seen transfer we've already talked about bo Nix, caleb williams jack Plummer going to cal is that jake Plummer's son correct mm-hmm. he'll fit in right he'll fit in very well with what his dad likes to do in the off in some off time at cal <laughs> There'll be plenty of <laughs> plenty of parties on the weekend to go take care of your uh, your Chiba fetish at Cal for Jack Plummer, <laughs> following his dad's footsteps. <laughs> Definitely lying in the weeds. <laughs> you mentioned Jaden Delora went from Washington State to Arizona, and then the one interesting name, which has some Tampa roots, Michael Penix, goes from Indiana to Washington. Penix is a Tampa high school kid who had a pretty good pretty good run at Indiana before he got hurt. Now he's back at Washington with his former OC from Indiana, Caden. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, yeah. Kalen DeBoer, sure. the, the new head coach. So interesting pairing there with Michael Penix heading out to uh, Seattle. Any of those yeah, guys really fasc- intrigue you? It's, it's fascinating that, you know, there were rumors that Jake Hayner, the Fresno State quarterback, would go to Washington with DeBoer, right. but he didn't. He stayed with Jeff Tedford at Fresno State. That opened the door for Michael Penix to go up to Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and the other interesting part of all this is, you know, Jaden Daniels, he transferred to LSU from right. Arizona State. And I, I always thought Jaden Daniels, you know, if he wanted the Washington starting job, uh, he would have had it, you know, and, and I wondered. Why is he transferring to LSU? Because you have Miles Brennan there. Oh, wait a minute. So Miles Brennan this past week right. uh, quit football. Like, did Jaden Daniels know something? I, I doubt it. But it's just interesting how Jaden Daniels seemed to be walking into a situation that was going to be complicated for him. Now he's the unquestioned QB1 at LSU. So that move worked out for him. Uh, you know, Cam Ward, the transfer from Immaculate Correct. Ward, you know, at Washington State. I think what's, what's his ceiling? Like that, that to me is the most interesting question among the non Caleb Williams uh, transfer quarterbacks yep. in the Pac 12. There's another transfer, Emory Jones. 
from the Florida Gators. Terrible. He, He's he, terrible. He, he resurfaced at uh, at ah. Arizona State. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we'll 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 see what that uh, situation brings. But you know, given that uh, Herm Edwards failed to develop Jaden Daniels as a passer, I would not expect Emory Jones to become a better passer at no. Arizona State. No. I think the smart the smart play for that coaching staff in Tempe is you use Emory Jones as much of a runner as you possibly can. Yep, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, I think I mean seven out of what is it? Seven out of the twelve are transfer quarterbacks. Definitely you, majority. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, you do, is, you do is, the simple yeah. math there. All right, most indis most indispensable player in the league, I would say Caleb Williams. Yes. maybe maybe Cam Ward at Washington State. Oh. It, it's Caleb Williams because, you know, Miller Moss is the backup at USC. He's not ready. I mean, he's, he's talented. Yeah. You, you give him another year in the Lincoln Riley system, you know, yeah. maybe next year he would be ready this year. He's not ready. USC absolutely has to have Caleb Williams health, healthy the whole way. Okay. Is he a Heisman trophy candidate? No doubt. And of course at USC, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt in a way yeah. that you don't at other PAC 12 programs, other programs across the country. So like if USC wins the Pac-12, Caleb Williams are, is probably going to be a Heisman finalist. Let's put it that way. All right, last one. We'll get you out of here. Give me a prediction. Who's playing in the Pac-12 title game and who wins? Utah and USC. And I think that you know Utah is going to win the regular season game, but that sets it up so well for Uh-oh. Lincoln Riley to get revenge in Vegas, baby. And USC is going to win the Pac-12 and go to the Rose Bowl. But like I, I don't, I don't have any real argument with Utah being the favorite. Utah yep. being picked to win the Pac-12 again. Bo Nix and Oregon are not better than USC. That's the main thing. And USC will be in the Pac-12 title game against the Utes. And and I'll say this because I know Matt. I don't think this is a homer pick either. I think he's objectively yes. picking this. Okay. Let me let me briefly make the case for USC before we <laughs> run out of time. And that is that. The Pac-12 was so bad last year, Jason. Yeah. You yeah. saw it. The, the yeah. quality of play, especially at quarterback, was so low. You know, it was so mediocre that you get, you bring Lincoln Riley in, you bring Caleb Williams in, you bring Jordan Addison in. Right. That raises the ceiling in terms of what USC is capable and of. And the coaching at USC. Against the Pac-12. The coaching quality so, at USC has risen dramatically. Dramatically. So even though this team was four and eight last year, the the, the, the the equation has changed so much. You know, in the Big 12, where you have Dave Aranda at Baylor and you have other really good tactical uh, coaches and coordinators like John Heacock, defensive coordinator at Iowa State, yep. you don't get those challenges in the Pac-12. You do not have a caliber of coaching and specifically defensive coordinators in the Pac-12 uh, that you have in the Big 12. So I think USC's offense for all the defense's weaknesses, I think the offense can go in, smash and grab, and score 40 every week. And I think that's going to happen. Great analysis, Matt. Pick Big 10, Pac-12 preview. We're giving it to you in depth. Want to make a note. Remember, we're going to be part of the College Football Coast to Coast podcast platform. I know Matt's going to be doing a podcast about Pac-12. I'm going to be doing a podcast about all the Florida schools. Remember, check it out, the the college football coast to coast podcast platform there's gonna be like eight or nine different podcasts from all over the country from notre dame to the pac-12 to the sec the service academies matt's doing his i'm doing mine tj reeves is kind of playing head coach and managing all of us and doing all that stuff but check us out again great content all things college football from around the country you're gonna get great content every week from all over the country newsmakers play or, you know, everything you can think of in college football, gambling ang- angles, all that stuff. So I know Matt, 
Matt's going to do a great job with it. What's the name of your What's the name of yours going to be, Matt? Get off my pylon. There you go. Get off my pylon. Mine's going to be the Florida Football Insiders. We're talking all things state of Florida football. So check us out again, Matt. Publicize yourself one more time. Where all your great works found. I'm at Trojans Wire. Visit our Twitter handle, which tweets out all of our stories and also our links to a podcast series called The Riley Files. Awesome, man. Great job. And again, we'll be with you all throughout the football season. Find us, subscribe, rate, and view, and we'd love to have your comments. So have a great football season. We'll see you real soon. Next podcast, we're going to have a preview, NFL previews and much, but enjoy the Pac-12 and the Big Ten previews that you just heard. Thanks, Matt. Have a great week, buddy. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.